Namaskaram. Hi, Michael. Hi, Ernesto. Today uh, we're going to discuss verse 4 of Ula Dunarpadu. And before getting started, we're, I'm going to read the verse. It says, If oneself is a form, the, girl, the world and God will be likewise. If oneself is not a form, who can see their forms? How? Can the seeing be otherwise than the eye? The eye is oneself, the infinite eye. So what does Bhagavan say here, Michael? Okay. Um, this is the verse. It's from this verse onwards that Bhagavan is getting down into the... is, is beginning to go in, uh, deep into the subject. That is, the, the, the subject matter of Uludunapadu really begins to unfold from this verse onwards. This is an extremely important verse. Um the first sentence, if oneself is a form, the world and God will be likewise. Uh, we need to think deeply about what he means here. If oneself is a form, um, in the Kalivemba version, he says, um, he says, in the, in the, in the original version of Uludunapadu, it's Uruvum, uh, tanayin, if oneself is a form. In the Kalibemba uh, um, version, he added une tunnum, which means which is composed of flesh. So if oneself is a form, which is composed of flesh. But, um, so he's that, that he's just pointing out that the form he's referring to is the form of a the body. But as he says in the next verse, the, the form of the body is not just a physical form. He says, Pancha Koza Uru, the body is a form composed of five sheaves. Because whenever we experience ourselves as a body, we don't experience ourselves as just a physical body. We don't, we never, no one has ever experienced himself as a dead body, for example or a sleeping body. We're aware of the body, it's a living body. So there's the, there's the body um, um, and the life. And because it's not a sleeping body, there's mind, intellect, and will. So all these five together are the form of the body that, we are, that he's referring to here. So what he means by form is every form is has certain features that distinguish it from other forms. So he's not just talking about physical forms. He's talking about, uh, for example, ideas. One idea is different to another idea because one idea is about A, another idea is about B. So we each have, we, we can distinguish one idea from another. For example, in the previous verse, there was, Bhagavan talked about the disputes about the world is real, the world is not is an, an unreal appearance. These are ideas. Each idea is distinct from each other idea. So, um, so a form means anything that is distinct from anything else. So all forms are limited. They're all finite. They have, that is, forms are de, uh, defined by their uh, distinguishing features. So anything with distinguishing features is a form. So if we are something with distinguishing features, the world and God will seem to be something other than ourselves. So they will also seem to have distinguishing features. Um, so if, but if we do not experience ourselves as having as a form, as something with distinguishing features, then who can see any other forms? What that is that which sees forms is that which sees itself as a form. That is the implication here. So in waking and dream, we rise as ego. And the nature of ego is to project and, uh, and uh, grasp the form of a body as itself. So throughout the waking and dream state, we are aware of ourselves as I am this body. I am this person. I am this bundle of five sheaves. And because we are aware of ourselves as this form, we're aware of so many other forms. We're aware of all the physical forms of the universe. We're aware of so many ideas, ideas about God. God is um, 
well, there are so many different ideas. Some people believe God is up in heaven. Some people believe God is omnipresent. Uh, God is um, God is imminent. God is transcendent. So many ideas we have about God. God is all-knowing, all-powerful, all-loving. All these ideas, these seem real so long as we have a certain, uh, we experience ourselves as a form. In sleep, we don't rise as ego. Consequently, we're not aware of ourselves as a form. Therefore, we're not aware of any separate world or God. So all these worlds, soul world and God, all come into existence simultaneously and cease to exist simultaneously as distinct entities. But the reality behind all these remains one and immutable, never ever unchanging. That is the pure awareness I am. So, so long as we are aware of ourselves as a body, the world will always seem to be uh, a, a bundle of names and forms. And even God, even if we have an idea, like some people say, oh, no, I don't believe in God with form. I believe only in formless God. But even the idea God is formless, is it so, it's just an idea. And every idea is a form. So we cannot know God as formless so long as we take ourselves to be a form. When we do not take ourselves to be a form, as he says in the second sentence, if oneself is not a form, who can see their forms and how? We can see this very clearly from our experience in sleep. In sleep, we are not aware of ourselves as a form, and therefore we're not aware of the forms of the world, nor are we aware of, of do, nor do we have any idea about God at all. Does that mean God ceases to exist? No, God is ever there as the real. What God actually is, is that which is shiny in our heart as I. It's only when we limit ourselves as I am this body, but God seems to be something separate from ourselves, seems to have uh, distinguishing features, something that makes him, uh, he, him more it's different from ourselves. Um, so so the, the, the root problem that is here, Bhagavan is teaching us, what is the root problem? The root problem is our false identification, I am this body, in other words, ego. That is what Bhagavan is indirectly referring to here. Why do the world and God appear as separate entities? Because we have risen as ego. That is the implication. When we do not rise as ego, there is no, no separate world, no separate God. And then in the next sentence, he, uh, he asks a rhetorical question. This rhetorical question is um, that, that is, the, imply, the, the implied meaning of this rhetorical question is, is a very, very, um, a very deep and important principle. That is what, what the, the, the sentence is, Kanalal Kakshion Do. Um, if we take it very, very literally, kanalal uh, means without the eye or except the eye. Kakshi ondo is there. Kakshi means what is seen. So without eye, is there anything seen? That's how some people have translated it, but that is not the meaning intended by Bhagavan. What he means here by alal, the basic meaning of alal, the usual meaning of alal, is except or besides or without. Um, uh, well, without is a bit of a derived meaning. It means except or besides. But Bhagavan explained what is what the intended meaning here. Allow means otherwise. So, if we are the form, the world and God will be likewise. He says in the first sentence. Here he's saying, can what is seen be otherwise than the eye. What's he mean by this? If the eye is a form, but what it, what, what it sees will be a form. If the eye is formless, what it sees will be formless. That is the implication. So the nature of, uh, of what is seen will be determined by the nature of what sees it. So the, the eye is what determines what appears. If we, we can give a physical example of this, if, if, 
I hear, of course, EYE, that is, I hear does not mean the physical organ, the eye. It means that which is the seer. It means the seer, that which is aware. But if we take it to mean the physical, if we, if we use the physical organ, eye, as an, as an analogy, if, uh, if eye is jaundiced, everything will appear yellow. So as is the eye, so is the sight, in other words. But obviously this has a far deeper meaning than that, but that's just an analogy to illustrate it. What, what this means is it, the nature of what, is, what we know is determined by the nature of the knower. If the knower knows itself as I am this body, then it will know only forms. It won't know, it cannot know what is formless. If the knower is the formless pure awareness, I am, then it cannot know any forms. So this is, uh, this is a very, very deep principle Bhagavan is uh, expressing here. And finally, he concludes by saying, um, the, the, the final sentence is, kan adutan antamila kan. That means kan means I. Uh, I means E-Y-E, the, the, the physical organ, but he's not talking about the physical organ here. As I say, kan is here a metaphor for awareness. Um, kan, adu, adu means that. It's, uh, it's just there for, um, for poetic reasons. Adu tan. Um, tan here, can we can either take it as, a, as an intensifier, meaning the I itself, or we can take the separate word meaning self. So um, both meanings are applicable, but it, it's, we get a little bit more out of it if we take it as a separate word. Kan adutan. The I, that is oneself. So the I is oneself. That, that the implication is the real I is oneself. And what is the nature of oneself? Antamilakan. Antam is a Tamil form of the Sanskrit word anta. Anta means end or limit. Uh, ananta uh, is, often, is a term that's often used in um, Vedantic philosophy. Ananta means not just endless, it means limitless, infinite. For example, in one of the Upanishads, um, Brahman is described as um, satyam jnanam anantam. Uh, that means satyam means what is real, what actually exists. Jnana means awareness, pure awareness. Uh, ananta means infinite. It has no limits. Uh, um, in Sanskrit, we say, they say anantam, the, the initial prefix, ah, uh, uh, makes it a, a negative. So uh, antam means a limit, ananta means no limit. In ta but here Bhagavan is used to, has adapted this as a Tamil word, antamila. Ila means without, or so the I without limit, the limitless I, the infinite I. So oneself is the real I is oneself, the infinite I. So here, as I say, I here is used as a metaphor for awareness. So what is the implication here, there's no word real here, but real is implied. Um, when he says the I is oneself, it implies the real I, the real awareness is oneself, the infinite awareness. Up to this point, that's in the, uh, the first two sentences, he's talking about form. Here he's talking about uh, he, the adjective used is antamala, which means without limit or infinite. What is the connection? Every form is finite. Every form has a limit because every form is distinguished from every other form. So forms are all finite. So anything that is infinite is therefore formless. So the implication in this last sentence is the real eye is the formless I. That is, we realize oneself who is the formless I, the formless awareness. The formless awareness, that is infinite, therefore formless. Since it's formless, it cannot know any forms. So but our real nature, the, pure, the real awareness that we actually are, doesn't know any form. It doesn't know what it knows 
According to a principle of established in the previous sentence, Kanalal Kakshiondo, can what is seen be otherwise than the I? If the I is infinite, it cannot see finite things. It can only see what is infinite. In other words, what is formless. In other words, it cannot see anything other than itself. So if we understand this, this verse correctly, that is, if we read it on the surface, we can just understand the, the meaning. But always when we're reading Bhagavan's verses, we need to understand not only the meaning, but also the implication. Because then only we understand the full depth of implication, the, the, full, the real intended meaning. That, that is, the meaning of the words gives us one level of meaning. But if we think deeply about what these words imply, we get an altogether much deeper in, uh, meaning. So what Bhagavan, Bhagavan is implying so many things here. He impl I mean, if we understand this verse correctly, we should understand pure awareness does not know anything other than pure awareness. Because it's infinite, it cannot know anything finite. So the world and God as separate entities, appear only in the view of ego, not in the view of our real nature, which is the infinite eye, pure awareness. And there, there are more implications and, and very profound um, sheets in, for example, the expression that when you see yourself as a body, you know only see the form of the physical body because your uh, mental body for example with all the packs of beliefs no mm. begin to take form uh, in what you uh, see in the form of expression of the people no? for example no? yes and um, is um, more subtle um, reveal of the implication of yes, this verse yes. in this uh, very subtle form of the projection of your manas uh, of in, yes, in, yes, and yes. you you see one person and you say it's very um, racist or xenophobic or whatever you say yeah, yeah, you yeah. are seeing your own mental yeah, form that, in that, this but the nature of the mind, if we, if we if we see it from a from a from an ordinary perspective, that is from a scientific perspective, the um, for example, light comes in from outside. That is, this, I'm not saying this is according to Bhagavan's teaching. This is according to the usual view of things. There's a world out there. Light is bouncing off objects, and it comes into the eye. It falls on the retina. That that the, the light falling on the retina produces a certain response, and that sends a message to the brain. And so, what the brain is actually receiving is just a, a series of, of of electrochemical impulses coming from the coming from the, the different uh, cells in the retina. And it, the mind somehow interprets all that. It interprets, oh, this is a, this is a red flower, that is a green tree, that this is a, a, a tall building, that is a big animal, a small animal. We, we, we interpret things. And, oh, what's lying on the ground there? That looks dangerous. That's a snake. We interpret it. It may not be a snake. It may be a rope, but we, we interpret it. So the mind is constantly interpreting. If you think about language, how we understand language, what is language? It's just some, some vibrations in the air are coming and hitting our ear, and we first interpret that as sound. But we don't stop with that. We then, inter we then interpret a meaning. That sound has a certain meaning. In the same way, people's expressions, we see a person, we, we look at their face, we interpret something. Oh, this person is happy, this person is sad, this person looks a, a, not a very trustworthy person, or this person... So, so the, the mind is constantly interpreting. So we, we are seeing things 
according to our own colored glasses, that is, if, if we are of a certain, supposing we are, we are a very dishonest person, we're always trying to, to do things in a dishonest way, we will see all other people as dishonest. We'll be suspicious of every person because we ourselves uh, are, a, uh, are um, not an honest person. We'll see, we'll be suspect every other person is dishonest and they're trying to cheat me. Whereas if we are, if we are basically an honest person, we will tend to, we will easily be fooled by people. By, by the dishonest people, because we'll, we'll naturally assume, oh, if they say so, they must mean it. They must. So, so we all see the world through our own colored glasses. We, we can see this even at a superficial level. But of course, what Bhagavan is saying in this verse is much, much deeper. It, it's the same principle, but, but we, we are interpreting things according to our, our point of view. But what Bhagavan says here is, so long as we limit ourselves as a form, the world and God will be likewise. Of course, all these other, how we interpret the world, that all comes secondary. It's all based on the same principle. Um, but, but Bhagavan is going here dealing with the very, the very, foundation of the very appearance of the world. The world appears to be so many names and forms because we experience ourselves as a name and form when we rise as ego. That is the point here. And Michael here, uh, when Bhagavan says, uh, if oneself is a form, the world and God will be likewise. If oneself is a, not a form, who can see their form? It's like, uh, with other words, what he says in verse 26 of Uladunarpatu. Exactly. It all comes, Bhagavan is saying the same thing in so many different ways. What he says in verse 26 is, if ego comes into existence, everything comes into existence. That is, if we are, if when ego comes into existence, we mistake ourselves to be a form. And consequently, we're aware of so many other forms. And the form we mistake ourselves to be, as he clarifies in the next verse, is not just the physical form. It's the form of five she's. So all thoughts, feelings, um, uh, intellectual processes, um, likes, dislikes, desires, and their seeds, the vasanas, all are forms. But they all seem to exist only when we rise as ego and therefore by project and take ourselves to be a form. And when in the, the um, uh, possessive adjective there, their forms, where there, that includes... First that means God and persons. world. God and world. Ah, world Everything and world. other than ourselves, basically. Ah, and oneself as ego? No. Because... Uh, if oneself is not a form... There is no ego, of course. There, there's no ego <laughs> then. So who can see any other <laughs> There is no world and God also, yeah, yeah, because yeah. there is no ego. So. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So oneself who is a form, namely ego, Mm. It's the first person. God and world are second and third persons. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But this is not to be interpreted. Uh, can the scene be otherwise than the eye? It's not to be interpreted in the sense of can the snake be otherwise than the rope? No, no, it's not, no, not, that's not in that way. That, exactly. That's, that, different. That, that's that the is, nature of the seer. Yeah. But. Why do we see a snake as a rope? Because, because we, we know snakes are dangerous creatures. So when we're walking along a path at night, we're very wary whether there's uh, to watch out for dangerous creatures, for snakes and scorpions and something. So when we see a, a rope, a harmless rope, we at once interpret it. Oh, that looks like a snake. We we mis we we interpret it because of our fear of snakes. That superpose on yeah. we we oh. superimpose yes. Just like just like a um, a dishonest person 
will superimpose his own dishonesty on everyone else and will be suspicious of everyone. Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh, it's a superimposition. Yes, it is. It is. It is. Uh -huh. When we take ourselves to be a form, we superimpose form on everything. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, what Ernesto says about the, all the five seats, like uh, the level of mind and the level of I don't know, even feelings or even... Yeah, well, uh, feeling, feelings, emotions, and so on, they all um, come under manamaya kosha, the mind. That's the grosser functions of the mind. All the functions of the mind, other than intellect and will and ego, are, are, are the manamaya kosha. Subtler than the manamaya kosha is the vijnanamaya kosha, the intellect or buddhi. Um, that's all the... The, the reasoning, the distinguishing, judging, um, that, that is, the, those are the functions of the intellect. And subtle of the intellect is the will, which basically consists of all the vasanas. And the vasanas, of course, sprout as likes and dislikes and desires and so on. So they have a slightly grosser level of the, the same will. And subtler than all of these, is the I that is aware of it as all these five are me. I am this body consisting of these five sheaves. In the level of the Manumaya Kosha, the feelings, the emotions yes. are, um, are not uh, more subtle than the thoughts, no? The thoughts are more subtle. They're all different types of thoughts. Because before the, the, the emotion uh, ever is the, the thought. Um, Interpretation. Yes, but the thoughts are also colored by the emotions. They're, so, they're all different types of thoughts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But of course, the, the thoughts that, the thoughts in which we, the emotionally charged thoughts, for, for example, if, if we are trying to attend to ourselves, the, the, the vasanas rise in the form of thoughts. And those thoughts, and that thereby they tend to distract our attention. If we allow ourselves to be swayed by both persons, we go after both thoughts. Some thoughts, it's relatively easy to withdraw our attention and bring it back to ourselves. But if a thought is emotionally charged, supposing we feel some person has done some wrong to us, we are angry with them, or, or something like that, emotionally charged thoughts Uh, um, uh, they, they've got more power behind them because it's because of the, 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 the strength of the underlying Vishayabhasana. The strong Vishayabhasanas give rise to stronger thoughts. So the emotionally charged thoughts are those with strong Vishayabhasanas behind them. But, uh, but emotions never comes before. Include include the, the the case, for example, that you you can say the inst instinct, no? The, yes. The, you, you are walking uh, uh, in the road and suddenly a car comes to you and you feel fear, no? Yes. It's very uh, for uh, survive, no? Yes. Uh, it, there a thought include before this emotional fear because you have an idea that your body is yes. you yes and this idea is based in the in the ego's root no yes yes but the the thoughts and the emotions are so 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 deeply intertwined and it's not Even if you, I mean, we can analyze and try and understand which comes first, but it's really, even to separate the thought from the emotion is really, uh, it's, it's questionable whether it's possible to do so. But even if we can do so, what's the point? We are not, that is why this analysis is given, all these five she's, Uh, as Bhagavan says, they're all anadi, uh, sorry, all uh, jadam and asat. They, they are insentient and they are, um, and they are 
uh, unreal, uh, non-existent. So having understood that these five sheaths are unreal, we don't have to analyze them. We don't have to analyze the thoughts and the emotions and all these things. Once we understand they're all anya, they're all something other than ourselves, we, we just ignore them. Otherwise, we, can, we, we get into psychology and philosophy of mind and all this. Uh, it's, why, to, why to think about these things? As Bhagavan says, the hair in the barber shop is to be swept up and thrown away. Why to analyze it? And uh, Michael, in the in the phrase, can the can the scene again? Can the scene be otherwise than the eye? Again, yes. it proves that the as in Bhagavan teach, Bhagavan's teachings, uh, the saddle is more important than the gross. And, uh, yes, yes, yes. Proud <laughs> from saddle yes. to gross. Yes. Yeah? But, what uh, what we, Bhagavan says? Whatever we see outside is a projection of what's inside. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's so. Uh, at first, at first, when you hear this, no, like the world is uh, the cause of ego, right? Uh, it's so uh, mind-boggling that because how can something that doesn't even exist, if <laughs> in the first place, uh, as said by Bhagavan, mm-hmm. uh, can be the cause of because I believe myself to be this body. I, I don't see yeah. any ego here. I, 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 the body. How can I be yeah. the, the creator of all this? Yeah. So yeah. it's so yeah. mind. But we, Contrary to though we don't <laughs> see ego as an object, we're very well aware of ego. Exactly. But that I, which is aware of itself, as I am his body, that is ego. But in a way, it's invisible because we believe yes. to be the body. Because as Bhagavan says later on, in verse 25, he describes ego as Uruvatrapeya Hande, the formless mm-hmm. phantom ego. Yeah. So, but then we have to think carefully. Because he says that ego is formless, but here he says if oneself is a form. Is, is there some sort of inconsistency there? No. The reason he says ego is formless, ego has no form of its own. But it cannot rise or stand or flourish without grasping the form of a body as itself. Yeah, it's very, very the, perfect, the perfect hideout. Yes, yes. <laughs> it's like uh, not to be seen because I believe myself to be this thing that takes yes. as itself. So uh, if I look inside my mind or something, yes. no, it's not the mind. It's even, uh, it, it's not there even when I go further back. Yes. So. E- ego is hiding by always looking outside because <laughs> it never sees itself. Because yeah. it's always more interested in other things. <laughs> it's interested in this person I seem to be. It's interested in the life of this person, my friends, my relatives, my possessions, my, um, my country, my religion, my politics. It's interested in so many things other than itself. It never looks at itself. If ego looks at itself, if sort it takes flight. It, 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 ego has no existence of its own. So if it looks at itself, it ceases to exist. So it, it survives by constantly looking outwards, looking at other things. Yeah, exactly. And it even comes into existence by being interested in other things. First the yes. body and then the body yeah. in other things. Yes. So, mm-hmm. If you listen to lectures by traditional Vedantins, some of them will sometimes say, even ego is an object. Mm-hmm. Behind ego, you've got the witness consciousness. So uh-huh. ego is an object to that witness consciousness. In the light of Bhagavan's teachings, we can understand that is meaningless. Ego can never be an object because ego has no form of its own. So ego is the subject. The, all objects appear only in the view of, of ego, the subject. But if ego looks, instead of looking at the objects, if it looks at itself to see who am I, then it ceases to exist. So ego can never be an object. Mm-hmm. The character, yes. That is not ego. Yes. That is what ego is identifying itself with. Yes. That is what makes up the character is the Vishaya Vasanas. But the Vishaya Vasanas are not ego. It is the nature of ego to have Vishaya Vasanas 
But Babasanas are just one of the koshas. Babasanas make up uh, an undermire kosha, the subtlest of all the koshas, the causal body as it's caused. Mm-hmm. Because the, the, those vasanas are the seeds that give rise to all the shares. Mm-hmm. The real mula vasana is ego. Yes, yes. Yeah, that's, that's why it's so key to understand the difference between, um, as you said, distinguishing ego from the person. That yes, we yes, yes, yes. This that, is something that, I didn't... That's key, yeah? Yeah. People, uh, people, a lot of people seem to have difficulty grasping this, but this is such a fundamental uh, point we need to understand. Mm-hmm. The person is just the five sheaves, which are all objects, the jada and the sat. Whereas ego is not any of the five sheaves, it's that which identifies itself with all the five sheaves, as I am this body. And by the way, Michael, just... Uh... Out of curiosity, do you know how, who started translating this, using the word ego in this uh, tradition? I don't know. Um, I mean, I think ever since Sanskrit uh, texts were, have been translated into English, Vedantic texts have been translated into English, mm-hmm. there really is no other word in English for uh, ahankara. Uh-huh. Or the, the word Bhagavan generally uses in uh, Bhagavan sometimes uses the word ahankara. I think the only time the word ahankara occurs in Uludunapadu is in the second verse. Mm-hmm. He says only so long as ahankara exists. Yeah. But in later verses, for example, 24, 25, 20, uh, 26 of Uludunapadu, the word he uses is ahande which is a Tamil form of the Sanskrit uh, term ahanta. Ahanta means aham is, uh, is I, ta is, uh, is, a, is a suffix that means similar to ness in English. So mm-hmm. ahande, the literal, how ahanta, the literal translation would be i-ness. I-ness, mm-hmm. right. Yeah, but when translated into English, I guess the translator had to, okay, it has to be different from I, so yes, yes, I'll resort yes. to another language. So yes, yes. Probably, just, I, just like the, the, the word uh, ahankara mm-hmm. and um, ahande, they, they, I is included in it, but it's a separate word. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. But often Bhagavan refers to ego as just I. Like in, in, yeah, right. in the previous verse, in verse uh, three, which we talked about earlier today, he says, um, he says, the state, na-natra uh, anilei, that state which is devoid of I. I there refers to ego. Mm-hmm. And for example, in verse 21 of, of uh, Upadeshundia, after saying in the previous verse, but one thing will, when ego dies, one thing will rise or will appear as I am I. That is the infinite whole. Mm-hmm. He then goes on in the next verse, verse 21, to say, that is always the true import of the word I, because of the absence of one's non-existence in sleep, which is devoid of I. Mm-hmm. The I that is absent in sleep is ego. Mm-hmm. What continue? What but but we remain. We continue to exist even in the absence of ego in sleep. So we are are the real import of the word I. So when we read Bhagavan's works, we need to be very we we need to read attentively and and thoughtfully. We need to we need to carefully consider what he's saying because. We, we shouldn't confuse when he's using I to refer to ego and I to refer to our real nature. We need to understand from context where he's referring to what. Another term he uses a lot in Uludunapadu and elsewhere is tan. Tan means oneself. Some places it can, it can refer to oneself in general without no, no need to, for example, when he says, Tannatum, which means self-investigation or self-attention. We don't have to distinguish 
whether it's ego or our real self. It's not necessary there. No. But other places, tan refers specifically to ego. In other places, it refers specifically to our real nature. So we need to understand from a context. For example, here in this verse, kan adutan, the I is oneself. But since he's talk, since he's talking here about the infinite I, the the infinite I is um is is the is obviously not not ego. It is the, it's our, our self as we actually are. So here he's using tan to refer to our real nature. Mm-hmm. But in other places, he uses time to refer to egos. So we, we need to, we need to, when we read Bhagavan, we need to read it carefully and understand what he is saying. People could say, oh, why does he have to make it so difficult? Why can't he just say? Why can't he just say when he means ego, when he means uh, there's a reason for it? Because he... It, it is put in, a, in this way to make us think about it, because in order to understand it correctly, we need to think carefully about it. If it's all spelt out too simply, we'll just lightly read through it without really thinking deeply about it. But to understand what he means, we need to think deeply about it. And in the question, in the rhetorical question also, where uh, Bhagavan says, how? Yes. By implication there also, it's validating that self-investigation is the only means to, to be what we are to see. I mean... Well, no. no? Here, because how here means who can see their forms and how. That how is it possible? If you're not a form, how can you possibly see any forms? Exactly. So from the perspective of ego, to be what you actually are, there is no other way than being that. Yes, 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 yes. No, in that yes. sense. How, how, how can we know ourselves as we actually are? We have to be right. ourselves as we actually are. Yes, yes. Okay. But, yeah. but the context in which he's using how here, he's referring to how can, we, how can we right. see their forms? How can we see right. the form of God and world if we ourselves are not a form? Exactly. And that obviously also, again, many uh, modern, more maybe, I don't know, in, in other Advaita traditions or others, kinds of Advaita, about the, the belief that the world continue existing. Yes, after, yes, yes. Uh, Here, Bhagavan is making it very, very clear. It lives very, very clear. Very clear, very clear. Mm-hmm. So but no- we have to read it carefully and think about it. Otherwise, people read through this and, and, and not... That's what I say. We need to understand more than just the surface meaning. We need to understand the implications. So even if you're even if you're you're a master of Tamil, so when you know the Tamil language very well and you know you know all about the classical Tamil language in which this is written, you can still read this and miss the point. Mm-hmm. You need to, it's not just the, it's not just by language knowledge that we can understand Bhagavan's teachings. We need to understand, we need to have a have a coherent, a comprehensive understanding of all his teachings. Mm-hmm. Because each, if we understand what is said here, it will, it will help us to understand what is said elsewhere. And if we understand what is said elsewhere, it will un- help us to understand what is said here. So every, every verse of Bhagavan, every sentence of Bhagavan is, is we need to, we need to, to under, know all his original writings very thoroughly, then we will understand each verse in the context of the entire teaching. Then it, the, the meaning will become much clearer and deeper. In a sense, it is, it, it is not, well, it's different, of course. The, it's not learning like learning some uh, worldly thing, no? Like, yeah. But yeah, with a language, if you learn a language, for example, first you have to be given some rules. Or something, yes, yes. then you go back, you practice a little bit, you go learning, back. Learning language is learning facts. <laughs> exactly. Yes, that, yes. that is, Obviously. it's a fact, but such and such a word has such and such a meaning. It mm. is a fact that if you want to express such and such an idea, you have to use such and such a syntax and so on. So language learning is factual. This is not about, well, of course, there are some facts here, but it's more a matter of understanding. Yeah, I mean, in the sense that one 
thing uh, uh, feeds the other thing. I mean, yes, exactly. From exactly. Theory exactly. Yes, practice, yes, there is yes, a constant yes, yes. Uh, transmission from one yes, to an another. Yes, yes. Hmm. And like any subject, if you want to learn a language, you have to put, you have to invest time and attention. To learn any subject, you've got to invest time and attention. And what you get out of any subject is what you invest in it. If I say I want to learn Spanish, but then I just read uh, some books for a couple of hours, and then I lose interest, I'm not going to get very much out of it. If I really want to learn Spanish, I've got to be serious about it. I've got to sit down. I've got to study the language. I've got to read more. I've got to speak to people who speak Spanish. Then only it will slowly, slowly sink in. It will become uh, familiar to me. It will become second nature to me. Mm -hmm. So with any subject, we get out of it what we put in it. So to understand Bhagavan's teachings, we have to read his teachings carefully. We have to do the sravana. We have to think deeply about it. And most importantly of all, we've got to put it into practice. And the more we invest in it, the more we invest our attention in understanding his teachings, and in, of course, most importantly, putting them into practice, the more we'll get out of them. That's true. With language, for example, it's uh, uh, no, students say that they uh, they study the rules and something, and what is hard is to talk to people when yeah. words come out. Here, yeah. the, the, uh, the hardest thing is to practice, but because of our passions, yeah. uh, yes, uh, keep pushing our attention outwards. Yeah. yeah. So some people, some people that, who want to learn a language, their greatest impediment to learning the language is they're too shy to talk. They're afraid of making a mistake. So they don't talk. So they can never really, um, they can never become fluent in the language. If, you're, if you want to learn a language, you have to be ready to make mistakes. Likewise, in this spiritual path, we will get out of this only to the extent to which we practice it. And of course, our practice won't be perfect at first. If you're learning a language, you'll be making so many mistakes. But slowly, slowly, you're, you're, as you become more and more accustomed to the language, you begin to spot your own mistakes. And then you correct it. And then finally, you can speak fluently. Likewise, with this, uh, with this practice of self-investigation. Yes, we make mistakes at first. At first, we think we're attending to ourselves, but we're attending to a subtle object. But then we correct ourselves. We go back, we read Bhagavan Gita. Oh, I was making a mistake there. I was, I was unconsciously looking for some object, something called I. Mm -hmm. I can't find the I, people say, as if there's something <laughs> called the I, other than the I, but he's looking. Yeah. So, so we, as, we, as we understand the teaching more clearly and put them into practice more, we, we, our practice becomes more and more refined. So understanding of the teachings is key to uh, practicing it correctly. And practicing it correctly is the key to understanding the teaching. So it's an iterative process. You write in, the, in, the, in your website where you translated Uladunarpadu, uh, where all the verses are. At the beginning, you said that, uh, that the, if someone doesn't study thoroughly, and deeply, it's like there is a risk that they mis misinterpret Bhagavan's teachings. Yes, yes. Unless yes, yes. A, a very deep study of the, this work is done. Yes. Yeah? Yeah. Uh, would you say the same about Nanar or any other? If we really, yeah? that is, any one work of Bhagavan, we can say is sufficient. Nana is sufficient. Mm. But we are very fortunate to have all these different works because the more we understand Uludunapdu, the more we'll be able to understand Nana. And the more we understand Nana, the clearer Uludunapdu will become. Likewise, Arunacha Stutipanchikam. Some people tend to neglect Arunacha Stutipanchikam, thinking, oh, it's all just some hymn, some, some dualistic uh, devotion. That I'm not for that. I'm only for self-inquiry. But we cannot understand Bhagavan, we cannot deeply understand Bhagavan without understanding Arunachas Dutipanchikam. It's very, very important because 
Uludu Napadu points out what we should do. But when we actually come to put it into practice, we face so many obstacles. The obstacles are nothing but our own vasanas. So how to deal with the vasanas? We, there's so much, so much wealth of guidance and support in our Ratchastuti Panchakam. So though any one work of Bhagavan is sufficient, that is, Akshramle alone is sufficient. Everything is given there. He, in verse 44, he says, daily um, see, uh, turning within, daily see yourself with the inner eye, it will be known. That's all that we need to know. We need to turn within and see ourselves. Now, all of Bhagavan's teachings are contained in that one verse. But there's so much, so much support and um, guidance we can get, practical support and practical guidance we can get from Aksharamalai and from other hymns. So all of Bhagavan's works are important. It's good to hear the, those words of solace and yes, yes. every now and then. We need that support. We, exactly. The exactly. task we've taken on is not, an, is not, a, is not, is not a, a trivial task. We... We are embarking on a journey going quite against the very nature of the mind. The very nature of the mind is to go outwards. Now we're trying to turn the mind back within. So we, we are up against a lot of obstacles in the form of our own vasanas. So we, we need that support. We need that guidance. It's no wonder. It's a, it's a bumpy road. Yes, <laughs> it's a... it is. It is. Inevitably. <laughs> Bhagavan often used to say, the whole spiritual path, the whole spiritual life is nothing but a battle in our own heart between the Satvasana and the Vishaya Vasanas. So to guide us in this battle, to support us in this battle, Akshara Manamalai is the greatest of all great treasures. So we, we neglect any work of Bhagavan at our peril. Some people, on the other, they go to, some people go to the other, oh, I, I like Aranatra's due to Panchakam, I like this devotion, I'm not interested in all this Uludunapya and everything. We cannot understand Aksharam like deeply without understanding Uludunapya and vice versa. Yeah. They're all complementary. But now I understand, in a sense, why it's more popular uh, works like day-to-day uh, -day or uh, uh, talks with Bhagavan. Yeah, 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 yeah. The format and everything is explained here, yeah, yeah. In, as you say. Sometimes you don't know if it's referring to ego. You have to figure yeah. it out. And yeah, always the more, the more superficial things will be more popular. The deeper things will never be in any subject. If you, go, if you want to go deep into any subject, you can get lots of superficial information. But if you want to have a deep understanding of any subject, you, you'll find that very few other people are interested in, in gaining a deep understanding. Yeah. Om Namo Bhagavate Sri Arunachala Ramanaya. Om Namo Bhagavate Sri Arunachala Ramanaya.